Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Warning. This podcast contains adult themes and loud music. Every night before I would go to bed or whatever, I would still kind of like look up prosthetics and like dream about getting back to drumming, you know. We had one goal. I mean, from the from the time of the crash to that show at the Shrine, that was the goal, was to just get back and get on stage again. Part four. The comeback. I just had to believe that they're going to come back, you know, you know, because I, I just, I've always been, I've been an underdog myself, and these guys were an underdog band. Most of the bands I've worked with have been underdogs that have found success, right? And these guys are another one of those. This is John Youngman, the manager of the Ghost Inside. As their manager, he had travelled the career roller coaster alongside the band, from the early days of grinding out shows to receiving the news of the crash. To watching their struggles with rehabilitation. And through it all, John had remained optimistic about the future of the band. I had to believe in, in these guys that they were gonna they were gonna climb that mountain and come back. And sure, you know, in the darkest parts of my brain, there's doubts about that. And I know that my doubts, you know, what they had to be facing in their brain, and you know, forget about it, doesn't even compare, you know. There's people in the business that never thought the band was going to come back. And there's people that didn't mean they didn't want the band to come back. But, you know, I just, I think there, I think there was a lot of people that thought they were done, you know. I'll tell you this, the fan base never believed that they were done. I remember at one point, Jim told me, we're going to make an album. I don't know what else we're going to do, but we're going to make an album. And I'm like, oh yeah, you're going to do more than that. Despite the confidence of John, the band were facing a number of obstacles to get back on stage. As Jim Riley, bassist for The Ghost Inside, explains. I also had the sort of like outsider perspective of seeing the, those three guys, Zach, Vigil, and Andrew, like of how bad they were. It's one thing to say like, oh, you'll overcome this and like, and all that. But it's not just Andrew like learning to walk. It's Andrew learning to walk and play drums in a metal band. Like, it's not just Zach learning to walk with half a foot. It's like Zach overcoming all these other things that are in his way on the way back to being on stage. Like, Vigil hit his head. Like, he's a screamer. We didn't know for three years if he was going to be able to sing without, like, literally causing himself a brain aneurysm. I know I definitely didn't think the band was going to do anything again. You know, I was more worried about getting myself better and and my friends getting better. This is Chris Davis, guitarist for The Ghost Inside. Despite his original doubts, the progress of Andrew, the band's drummer, who had lost his leg in the crash, became the driving force behind the band's comeback. And, you know, once Andrew came to and started contacting all of us and let us know that, you know, he lost his leg and his general attitude was just so positive and 
you know, I'm going to figure out a way to beat this. This isn't going to be the end of of me because of this scenario. Like, it didn't seem fair to me to feel bad about myself and what we were going through if Andrew could take it all in stride and be as strong as he was. It didn't, it didn't seem fair. Andrew started going to physical therapy in Michigan and he just by again complete random luck ended up with a doctor who was also a drummer and so a lot of his rehab was based around getting Andrew back to playing drums Um, so seeing the first videos of him playing drums in rehab even though it was super basic was really encouraging and gave me a feeling that maybe okay maybe we can kind of pick up the pieces here The band faced a huge list of obstacles to get back to playing again, especially Zach, guitarist for The Ghost Inside, who had been through a number of surgeries to rebuild his body. ESP sent me like a two-thirds small guitar to the hospital, and I picked it up and played a little bit. But for me, the, the hardest part was I couldn't, even that guitar, which is so light, I couldn't rest on my hip, you know, because my hip was awful awfully painful I couldn't put it on my right leg because my right leg was still broken couldn't put it on my left leg because my foot was in pain so it it took a long time but I I got home I was settled enough to where I could sit up for you know 10 minutes at a time and I grabbed a guitar and just started riffing around through a little little amplifier and uh, it, it felt great again I was so excited but the biggest obstacle facing the band was Andrew having to learn to drum again following the amputation of his right leg. Larry, Andrew's dad, had to sign the forms for his leg to be removed. And while this was a necessary decision to save Andrew's life, it was the motivation for Larry to figure out how Andrew would get back on stage and start playing drums again. I started formulating my vision of how he was going to be able to drum again. And... My vision was somehow or other, we're going to have to bring the pedal up to his stump. He told me about it in the very early days of of being in the hospital. Not long after they broke the news that I lost my leg and I was like showing that like, I'm going to figure this out, blah, blah, blah. My dad said, my dad drew it on a piece of paper. He's like, I have an idea for this pedal that's connected to your regular pedal but it comes up to your where your snare drum is, like your hip height, and you play with with your stump. And I was like, nah, nah, I'm going to figure it out with the leg. His doctor was a drummer, great guy. You know, it was the perfect situation for him to have this doctor who was a drummer and understood what he needed and um, was very aggressive at trying to pursue to get Andrew back to drumming. And, and their um, experienced dad is a prosthetic, you know, so they were going with how to build him a, a prosthetic that will allow him to drum again. We're not just talking about any type of drumming here. Andrew had to get back to playing the fast and intense style the band plays. The Ghost Inside, you know, hardcore, metalcore band, there's obviously double kick, double bass involved. A lot of intricate patterns and, and you know, fast, choppy stuff with, with your, your feet. And playing drums, you're using all four limbs. And 
they're doing different things at the same time. And so at that point in time, I basically said, I'm stepping aside. I'll let them do their thing. I had gotten in in touch with my drum sponsor, SJC, um, who are the most amazing people. I love them so much. And they, they built me just this really bare bones kit and they built it as a, like a practice quiet, quiet style kit. So I could go play the drums. They, that Mary Freebed set up this like closet area for me, specifically for me to go play drums. So like for like an hour a day that I was up there, I would go do my rehab for, you know, an hour. And then they were like, if you want to go play drums whenever you want, it's up there waiting for you. So every day I went to do my rehab, I did my exercises and then I went and played drums for an hour. And the first time I did it was just a very basic kit. And, um, I didn't have, um, my leg on my prosthetic or anything. I have a, I have two pedals. So I was just using my left foot on the left pedal just to kind of sit and tap around again for the first time. I took it really slow. I was playing Rosanna by Toto, you know? And just like getting back into the swing of things. And, um, and then, yeah, I was starting to think about like, how am I going to play as close as possible to the level I was at before all this? They created a, a special prosthetic for him to drum, and the idea was that that he would go up on stage and he'd take off his walking prosthetic and put on this drumming prosthetic and and uh, do his show. But the, my my problem ended up being was that there was a there was a pretty big latency between the time I would move my leg to when the pedal struck the the kick drum. And also just this severe lack of power. Um, it just wasn't doing it for me. And I was like, there's got to be some other way. He got to the point where he was frustrated. Uh, um, I guess the prosthetic itself was too heavy, which was kind of my thought process in the start. Is like, if he uses a prosthetic, he's going to have to lift that up and down when he drums. And, I, and, and my thought, my thinking was... I don't know how that's going to work. Well, as it turns out, it didn't work well. (laughs) Anyways, Andrew got to the point where he got real frustrated at uh, how how the prosthetic was working. He he came, he told me, he came point blank to me and says, I can't do this anymore. He says, this isn't fun. And so at that point, I felt at liberty that, okay, they've done what they could do. Now now I'm going to do... As a father who saw his, lo- his son lose his leg and potentially his career, I thought I got to do this, and and I and I, I needed to do it for me too. That's when my dad just didn't even say anything, and he just went in the garage, and I didn't even know he was working on it out there, and he just came came out to me. He's like, "This is what I was talking about," and I was like, "Whoa!" He's like, "What the hell is this thing?" <laughs> He's like, "Just try it." He's like, just see if it works. So I did. I had the drum kit set up in the basement of my parents' house. 
and he hooked it up for me and I started playing and I was like, whoa, like it was, it was mind blowing how much more power I could get out of it and how much more control I had not having a 13 pound prosthetic to lift up and down, especially with the Ghost Inside's music. We have a lot of those like those fast punk beats and a lot of a lot of double kick stuff so I, I felt like i had more control and more power and i mean it was a very very emotional moment my dad and i just looked at each other and just broke down into tears and um it, yeah uh, that that like just fully re-sparked my like i can do this this is the first footage andrew released of him playing drums again Seeing the first videos of him playing drums in rehab, even though it was super basic, was really encouraging and gave me a feeling that maybe, okay, maybe we can kind of pick up the pieces here. Um, But it wasn't really until Larry, his dad, built the hammer. Uh, Once I saw the first video of Andrew playing with that, it was like, uh, okay, this is starting to make more sense. With the band's rehabilitation going well and all of them back playing their instruments, they could now start thinking about being a band again. We all met up in 2018 to get together to practice our songs for the first time. And uh, we did that. And, um, you know, we all we all got in and, and it was crazy. It was like the, we were all like loading gear into a practice space to practice. And we were like, man, we used to just this is what we used to do. It was definitely uh, kind of intense, um, just like the seconds leading up to the first song we played. We kind of all set up and just sat around and we were like, all right, what are we playing first? (laughs) Uh, I think I said between the lines. So everyone was like, cool, yep. So I just counted it off and we went. And we played, we got through the whole song you know, maybe a little sloppy, a little rusty, but without a hiccup. One of the things that's happened even before the accident is if you go a long time without practicing between tours, sometimes you'll like forget a part of a song and you go, oh shit, you got to start over. We didn't forget it. So we got through one song and we were like, okay, wow, (laughs) that wasn't that bad. And then I think we played, you know, 10 or 12 more. No, it wasn't that tight. It was, it was pretty sloppy. You know, but uh, after that practice is when we were all like, yeah, yeah, we can play a show. We're going to we're going to play a show. First song in, I was like, oh, yeah, this this feel it's not perfect. And we're definitely a little rusty, but this feels good. And I am at that point, we could have booked a show for a month later and I would have felt comfortable with it. Um so I think it was a, it was a multi-step process and it was baby steps. I mean, baby steps because all of these different points were months and months and months and years apart from each other. Um, but it slowly kind of skewed itself back to like, okay, this is possible. Cause, and even outside of Andrew's, uh, you know, losing his leg and trying to figure out how he would play drums like that, you know, Zach was having so many complications with his leg. Um, and and his you know his foot he lost two toes um and it was really hard for him to be on his feet for an extended period of time and and that was like 
is there going to have to be like a, a stool for him on stage? You know, how, how do we work this? Uh, and so as Zach's scenario was kind of improving, you know, he was having surgeries that they weren't anticipating, but after every surgery, like his condition would get a little bit better. And like, he was starting to like get up and move around more. And the more he moved around and got in better shape again, the better he was feeling. It's like all this stuff slowly started to round a corner where it was like, okay, this seems a little bit more realistic now. Yeah. I mean, after that first practice, we were like, okay, we can do this. We can do a modified version of how we used to, but we can do this, you know? And that's where the, the whole, the whole, all right, let's, let's at least, at least play one more show and do one more record. No matter what happens, let's at least do a show and do a record. So that way this crash didn't end the ghost inside. We did at least something past the accident because, you know, nothing, nothing against Lubbock, but you don't think, you know, your, your career, your career is going to end in a random city in Texas. You know, you, you think you're going to at least play your hometown show as, as a farewell, you know, like, traveling the world for so many years you don't think like this is it for us this this is the end you know and so that in many ways also made us realize that we can't take things for granted and it might be it might be the end and that's why it's one night only because we don't know if this is going to be it this we could walk off stage and be like we can't ever do that again physically mentally whatever and with that the band reached out to their manager, John Youngman, to get the ball rolling. I got another phone call and they said, hey, John, we want you to come to Michigan in January. We're going to play you these demos we've been working on for the album. And I said, awesome. I went up there thinking, okay, well, they're going to make an album, but that's going to be it for a long time. And I walked in there and these guys had written an entire record. And I was like, wow, okay. And and they told me at that point in time that, all right, well, we're going to make an album and we're going to play one show. We had tossed around the idea of booking the, sh- uh, the first show back for that following November. And then we just kind of decided that it was just maybe a little too soon. So we got together at Andrew's house in January of 2019. And we were there to do writing for the record. We were like finally at the point of like, okay, we're scheduling studio time for this year. We've been kind of writing bits and pieces. Let's get together and let's actually like do a full blown writing session. And during that week that we were there, our manager flew out and we went out to dinner. We're like, okay, it's time. We have to do this. We're, we're basically there physically, um, and I think that now is the time for us to prove to ourselves that, that we're, we're like going to put this in our past. Part of my job is to be cautious and, you know, be devil's advocate sometimes with a band and say, okay, maybe we don't get go that big. Maybe we go a little smaller. Let's make sure we can sell out a little bit smaller room, and then if we can, we move big to the next one. Also, sometimes my job is the exact opposite, where I tell the band that's nervous, let's take a chance and let's go bigger. In this case, when they first came back, I had no clue. I knew we'd sold, you know, just over a thousand tickets last time we were in Los Angeles. And I said, play the Palladium, it's safer. And my business partner, Mark, who, you know, I co-manage bands with, he he actually's like, dude, go bigger, go bigger. But he's in our relationship, he's usually the more cautious guy. I'm usually the more risk risk-taking guy. But sometimes that dynamic shifts. And so when he was like, 
now I think they can go bigger. I started to more seriously think about that. And then ultimately the band wanted to do a production that wouldn't fit inside Palladium. So we decided to go to the Shrine, the Shrine Indoors, which is 5,000 cap. The Shrine was like, yeah, we can book at the Shrine because there's no way we'll sell that out. You know, like we'll be able to sell tickets all the way up to like the day of the show and no one's going to miss out like that. Like that's what it felt like to us. It sold out in like two minutes. Sold out Shrine in like two minutes or I, I don't know. Some people said it was a minute. Some people said it was three. I don't know what it was, but it was very fast. We were all just in our group text like, wait, tickets are gone. What? Like our manager's like, yeah, just confirm there. It's, it's real. That's It's already sold out. And if I'm being completely honest, I sat in my studio and cried because I just couldn't believe that four years after the accident, we've been completely inactive, that there were still that many people that wanted to be there to support us. Uh, it, it didn't even seem like it was possible in like my wildest dream that that would happen. And then moving it outside to the parking lot, you know, we put another 2000 tickets on sale and those sold out in less than 10 minutes. Like it just, it kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I couldn't wrap my head around that many people being willing to take the time out of their day and spend the money to like travel from places all over the world to come see the band play again for the first time. Um, you know, I knew it would be special for us. I knew it would be special for our family. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be that special for our fans either. So that was like unbelievably encouraging. Even though I missed out on the ticket sale, I knew I was going to be at this concert. And while I was figuring out how to get to LA, Jim was figuring out how to make it a show to remember. I had a picture in my head of what the Ghost Inside first show back was going to be like. I always felt like it could be the only show we ever played. Um, and you start planning for that like six months in advance. So this is the only thing we're going to do. We are going to shoot off pyro. We're going to shoot off confetti. We're going to have, you know, this waterfall sparkle thing. Like it's going to be the sort of event that however many people attend it, they are going to talk about for the rest of their lives. Now it was real. The band were coming back. They were going to play a show, but there was a lot to do, especially for Andrew. I personally was just playing drums more and practicing, getting excited and and trying to work on everything. And I, at that time, too, I hadn't done the triggers thing. And that was a thing that I was like, I got to figure something out because this isn't going to sound as good as I want it to live you know, the more tickets we sold, the more I felt a personal pressure to deliver the best show possible, <laughs> um, which meant, you know, not just uh, playing the songs well, but actually putting on a show worth the ticket price. So I I put a lot and a lot, a lot, a lot of stress on myself uh, for no reason other than that's just the kind of person <laughs> person I am. Um, but we also had just like technical issues along the way. Like while, while the device that Andrew's dad built him worked, uh, you know, he was having issues where hitting with his, you know, residual leg 
wasn't hitting as hard as his left foot. I need extra power. It's got to sound intense. That's why I figured out the triggers thing. It was it was a lot. It was a lot of playing. And also, my dad has made like ten or eleven hammers. We've just constantly been adjusting things, and so there were a few new hammers in between. Then, so, you know, I, even though I was able to hit harder with the hammer than just the prosthetic, there was still a very big difference between the power I could get out of my actual left ankle and foot than the hammer. So then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to use triggers. And that way, it's still me playing. It's just giving an equal sound. It's making each each kick drum sound the same, the same velocity and same volume. So, yeah, I tried a bunch of different kind of triggers, and I finally found the one that worked for me. And it's this pretty small company from Russia. They're called Trigmic, and they make this laser-censored trigger that clips to your bass drum and it points down at this at your beaters that have this reflective tape on it and it's pretty pretty crazy technology but um it allows me to get that volume i want and higher accuracy too so um i think that's that was like kind of the final piece of the puzzle there that was like okay this is going to be great as the show got closer the band continued to rehearse but they were still facing many challenges. We practiced one time in May in Florida at the end of a writing session for the record. Uh, And then we didn't practice again for a few more weeks until we met up like a week before the shrine. And we didn't know if the remedy we had come up with was actually going to fix the problem yet or not. Um, And so that stressed me out a lot. We rehearsed for 10 days uh, here in Las Vegas. And the first few days were like rough. Like at that point, we knew we had sold 8,000 tickets that this show was going to have this many people and it was a week away. And we were not good, like literally not good, like barely getting through some of the songs, like not being able to put like the sections of the show together. And we took a day off we went back to rehearsal and we ran through the songs in the set list in order, like one at a time. And we played through all of them without like, without ruining them. And that was the first time I looked at Andrew and I was like, okay, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's gonna work. And we did that again that day. The next day we came through and we ran through the set start to finish for the first time. And I remember having that moment of like not realizing I was playing the song. Like we'd play these songs hundreds of times, like it's muscle memory. But that gap in time of that like four years time of not actually playing the songs a lot, you kind of like forget that. And it it clicked for all of us at almost exactly the same time. We're like, everyone starts like nodding their head and kind of like looking around and like making jokes like we would have made, you know, in the middle of a tour four years earlier. Um, And that's when we were like, we're going to pull this off and it's going to be good. We were there for a week of practice and rehearsals. And then we went to Los Angeles the last few days and very stressful, very, very stressful. We had technical difficulties, um, just like dumb gear stuff going wrong during practice and 
And then, you know, we rehearsed all this huge production with pyro and lights and the big boy stuff. And it was just all very overwhelming. It's awesome, but overwhelming. Our manager standing there watching us and all of our crew. And it's just like, this is just so insane right now. And the big day arrived. I had booked a flight to LA, confident of getting into the show. And a few days before the show, I managed to get myself a ticket. I woke up that day and yeah, it... Nerves, nerves were in place, but I feel like they were outweighed by excitement. We basically did a hometown show, but instead of it was Massachusetts where just Jim's family is, it was LA where 500 of our friends and family flew in to see. So the emotional stuff, though, that didn't start till the day of the show. I, but I thought for sure that I had it under control. Uh, and then I got to the venue the day of the show and rounded the corner and saw my family for the first time, specifically my mom, and just started bawling. Like all, all of the emotions of like the previous four years just came out in that moment, like right away. Um, and I thought it was good. I said, oh, I got it under control. I got it. I got it all out just then. Uh, and then we're in our little green room thing, getting ready to go on stage. Everybody's getting changed, getting warmed up. And my wife brought my son in. And as soon as my son came into my arms, it's like I lost it again. Because I, I thought that there was no way I was ever going to share my passion in life with my son. I thought that the opportunity for that was out the window. And the fact that my family was with me in Los Angeles with 8,000 people there to see our band play that he might not remember it, but he was there, you know? And like, I, all of that emotion like hit me in the, in that moment as well. So then the show day comes and I am, my mom has five kids. I'm the oldest. Uh, the next two kids, my sister and my brother, are both parents. Um, they both live in Massachusetts. And I didn't think they were going to be able to make it out to the show. Like, they had told me they're not coming. Um, so I had, like, I was very bummed, but I had, like, accepted that. So we get up in the morning. We go to the shrine. We do, like, a photo shoot. We do, like, a walkthrough. Do all, like, sort of, like, pre-show stuff. Go back to the hotel. I like grab a box of stuff, grab my clothes for the show. I come down to the lobby of the hotel and my brother, my brother and sister are standing there. And I just like broke it. I had been so consumed with the, the, the work stuff of making the show happen that I hadn't let like a single emotion crack that yet. And seeing my brother and sister there, like, I lost it. Like the, the elevator door slid closed in front of my face as I was like sobbing. And I like went back up to the seventh floor or something and then came back down. It was like, it was like a movie. Uh, and that was when it like, for me, the whole thing really started to happen. In the first episode of this series, Jim talked about how original guitarist Aaron had left the band while they were touring their album, Dear Youth. As this was only a few months before the accident, I wanted to talk to Aaron about what had happened. I had texted Vigil briefly, like we had very briefly spoken prior to that. And um, 
him and I, I mean, we had the longest history. We were the two original, like of the, of the current lineup, him and I were the original members of the band. We went through the most, I think him, him and I's, him and I's relationship was affected the most by me leaving the band because we had the most history. And when I saw him at the shrine, it was the first time that like, we had really like engaged each other since the yeah, since I left the band and we didn't even really talk that much. Like I, it was right before they were going on stage. Cause he, he, he hadn't been out mingling as much. He was kind of, um, he had stayed back in the trailer, he, but I mean, that's, that's his personality. I'm sure he was like real nervous about the show and just like wanted to collect himself. And uh, I hadn't, I hadn't seen him yet. And I just, I was walking to go get my spot in the crowd and I felt like, um, I felt like I needed to at least like say hi before they went on. Just felt, I just like, I was walking to the crowd. I was like, no, I stopped and I turned around and I walked back towards their trailer. And I was, uh, I forget who was over there. It was one of their moms that I had said hi to. And I was like, Hey, are they back there? And they're like, yeah. And I, I just walked into the walked into their trailer, and he was the first person standing right in front of me. And we didn't really say anything. We just gave each other a really long hug, and it was it was definitely really emotional. And I don't even remember what we had said, but we definitely both said some stuff in each other's ear, and it felt really good, and it felt right. Ten minutes before stage time, we sort of cleared everyone out except for um you know like the 10 of us um that had survived the accident were like kind of all backstage together and i just like it felt so normal in that moment like i was excited and i had the butterflies and i felt all the anticipation but it felt just like that first time walking on stage at download or like all those other like monumental achievements that the band had had in our careers, this felt like the next logical one of those. Or like this was going to be the most amazing night of our lives. But at the same time, like it was sort of like business as usual uh, in a way. And that felt really cool. Like it's not to like downplay how special it was, but, I can't tell you enough how special it was for it to feel normal. The moments leading up to bef- right before we went on stage was like, like my heart was racing. I was like, so, so stressed, anxious, I guess more anxious than stressed. Um, but whew, man, I have this crazy memory. I'll tell you real quick. Um, I think it was Jim, our bass player, that curated a playlist of what's going to play over the PA before we're going on. And Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, was the last song to play. I was up there for the entirety of that song because I went up early. You know, I got to get up there, take my leg off, and get set. So as soon as Bohemian Rhapsody started, I go up on stage and I'm sitting at my kit. And I was sitting there by myself in the darkness while that song was playing. And I could see through and see the crowd. And that was seriously like a fucking movie.
I was like looking over and seeing the guys like getting their in-ears in and getting their guitars on and I was like this is fucking happening right now I'm getting like a little choked up just thinking about it but that moment was that moment was intense and having that song right before it just it really really was I mean I know you know what this this is crazy because you know what I did I referred to those breathing exercises I was doing in the accident when I was on stage because I was so I was so I was starting to get like anxious so I just I was Bohemian Rhapsody's playing I'm sitting there looking at 8,000 people curtain's about to drop and I'm just going like back to the breathing exercises it was a very very intense moment in my life good evening everyone we wanted to start by saying thank you thank you thank you for joining us tonight it was nearly 15 years ago going on stage at that point I my my body literally went into autopilot you know we we went on stage we started playing and as soon as I hit the first note it was like okay I I'm in like show mode now Once uh, Avalanche started and we got through that song, I was just like, okay, cool, let's go. Let's rip the rest of the set. Like I was I was all all stress, all anxiety, all the years of uh, of all the all the crazy hard times and recovery that all of us went through just just blew away in the wind and staring out and seeing all of our fans and how insane everything was and being on stage and we got fire now and lights and all this production most gratifying thing ever man like can't explain it all all of that all of those feelings of of what if and all that uncertainty just just disappeared in an instant as the band played through their set their friends and family who had been through this four-year journey with them were there to watch the comeback seeing them in los angeles was just one of the most emotional things i've witnessed in a music experience and I just like, I had to, I was in the audience and of course there was a lot of people around me, you know, and of course you're in your own head at that time trying to think about what they went through. But I was like, I can't stand next to anybody I know because I just need to witness this in silence and not be influenced by any, you know, my friends around me. So it was just tears, man, you know, just tears rolling down your face when those guys walked on stage, man. Couldn't believe what they had accomplished to get there. While this was a huge achievement for the band, it was also a huge relief for their family members. Such a high moment to think that all that they've been through, and actually we kind of went through it right along with them, to to see it end in such a positive way. And, uh, and, you know, just the whole buzz of it. You know, we, my wife and I felt like rock stars that day because I mean I got to go to sound check and be up on stage with the band and stuff I, I tell everybody I'm with the band like uh, 
Wayne and Garth did in their show. Uh, I felt I felt pretty special, but it, it was the whole thing was a cool experience. We were backstage prior to the show, mingling with all the VIPs, you know, all their the their friends from all the other bands. It was it was cool. The LA show was the best medicine, especially for us parents because that was the first time we all got back together. This is Andrew's mum, Julie, also known as Mama Bear. We all were in the parent section on the side, and all of us moms and the friends, especially us moms, we just, at the beginning, when the spotlights came on, we just, we lost it. We just cried and cried and cried, and we all looked, me and the moms looked at each other, and we said, our boys are up there. They made it. Look at what our boys did. As the band's previous guitarist, I also asked Aaron what the show was like for him to watch. Coming back on literally that stage, after everything that's happened, like I could only imagine how important it is to all those guys to go out there and kill it and like play the best they've ever played, and they did. I expected it as much, but it still went beyond my expectations of how well they played, how good they sounded. Like, just it, it was it was the first time the Ghost Inside has ever put on a concert, like an actual concert. You know, like we used to joke around and have fun on stage, and like we'd play our songs, a crowd would be into it or whatever. But like that was it. Like that was the first time the Ghost Inside's ever played a full on like production, and it was. It was cool to see it from that side and to be able to appreciate it. They sounded amazing. Like it was by far, I, I mean, I guess I, I can't be an audience member when I was playing, but I guarantee it's the best the band's ever sounded, including my time in the band after anything. They sounded incredible. I left the show feeling blown away by what they had achieved and what they, like the way that they were able to come back and the way that they did. I, it was, it, it was really special and it, and it created for me personally, which I'm, I mean, obviously it has to be in different ways, similar for them. At that point, it kind of solidified for me that the band was a pre and post crash era. It, it's amazing that they came out a better band as a result of it. Like they, they came out. Um, like as a band capable of doing more than it ever could have done before. And that was, it was really cool to see. We can all remember the best concerts we have been to. For me, it was my first concert when I saw Guns N' Roses, seeing the Beastie Boys at Brixton Academy and Rage Against the Machine at Reading. All these shows blew my mind and the ghost inside at the shrine is on that list. Yes, it was emotional. And yes, it was an unbelievable achievement. But the truth is, both musically and as a show, the band just killed it. And with the show over, it was a chance to reflect on the day and also the previous four years. I wish that they didn't have to go through so much more than the average hard work and band, which, you know, again, hard work being a key part of that. You know, there's a lot of bands that do hard work, but not most bands don't have to go through this. So sometimes I feel... I feel bad that they had to they had to, to go through it all, but you know life doesn't necessarily cooperate sometimes, and and I realize that. Um, but for me, it's 
it's it's tremendously inspiring to how strong a human being can be in the face of hardship and you can quit or you can be a winner and these guys to me epitomize winners it took me about a week after the show to like really process everything that happened that night like to really understand how special that moment was and like you know every i think every show that we play from now on will have a a deeper importance to us than it would have back in the day but i don't know if anything will ever be as special as as you know that night was to us i think that that will always hold uh the number one ranking in like most special moments as far as music goes for all of us i always looked at the show as as about us it wasn't about how many people were there it wasn't about who was there it was about getting back on stage looking back and seeing Andrew playing again looking over to my right and seeing you know Chris smiling and playing guitar again I was looking to my left and seeing Jim you know singing the clean parts and and playing bass and just jumping around it was looking at Zach and watching him just headbanging and just having a good time you know it was about the five of us just getting back what we lost and that's what I wanted more than anything in the world you know there there are times where that whole journey you know the I can be incredibly sad and had bits of melancholy thinking about the accident itself the the years after the uncertainty the physical pain the mental struggles but those are those are heavily outweighed by the return the shrine itself you know like if I if I never played a show again in my life if the shrine was the last one I would be the happiest guy ever and feel more accomplished than I ever thought I would I don't take anything for granted anymore I certainly tell everyone who's close to me my family and friends that I love them all the time you uh, you know that's something I never really did enough before and you take life for granted sometimes. Everyone does it. Everyone does it. But like this may this this was a like kind of a wake up call, you know. This was a, a, a close a close call, a brush with death. And uh came really close to that and it changes you. Absolutely. Um, um but I think it's made me a better person. It's made me really just kind of sit back and think of life differently and it's put a lot of things into perspective for me. And you know, I try to not I try to not get too worked up and sweat smaller issues anymore, you know. Things could have been very different and much worse, and I'm just very thankful now, and and I'm mindful of that, too, every day. I don't think any single person, I don't think anyone in the world, if we if we hung it up and we're like, you know, this, 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 is, this is it for the ghost inside. I don't think anyone would have blamed us, you know. I don't think there's a single person that would have been like, no, what are you doing? Like, this, this is, like, you guys... You get, you guys need to be back. This is bullshit. You guys are quitters. You know, I don't think, I don't think anyone would have done that. But I think everyone just just wanted it. The drive was always there. 
it was just a matter of getting to a place physically where we could get back to it. And honestly, I'm just I'm just lucky that we have it back at any capacity that we have, you know, being able to play a handful of shows a year, you know, we we didn't know if the comeback show at the shrine was gonna be our last show or not. We genuinely didn't know. We had we had no future plans. We were gonna play the one comeback show and if it we could continue on live from there, amazing. If not, then at least we, you know, had come back, we had the show, we went out with a bang, you know, we were able to do it. And I think we have to approach things differently now as a band. And I, I don't think we're able to actually I know we're not able to, you know, go on the road again. We're not able to play back to back shows. Like just physically, we just can't do those kind of things, you know. We're gonna need the the recovery time in between. So it's a double edged sword because it limits the things we get to do, but it also makes the things we do get to do more important. And this year, the band released their first album since the crash, titled "The Ghost Inside." I am so proud of this record. I think that I personally think that this is the band's best record. Uh, every band always says that when they put out a new record, but. I think that I get a unique perspective as compared to everybody else in the band because this is my first record with the band and I was a big fan of the band prior to that. Uh, so I, I can still look at it from the fan perspective and say that I, I, as a Ghost Inside fan, think that this is the band's best record. Um, I think it took everything that we went through the past four years to make this record, though. I think that this record doesn't exist without November 19th, 2015. I think that it taught us a lot of things about ourselves. I think it gave Vigil the strength to write the kind of lyrics that he wrote for this record. Um, I think that it gave us a more defined vision for what we wanted out of this record. And I just I just can't imagine a scenario where this record happens the same way and comes out the same without the accident. It just doesn't. So while there are so many obvious, obvious uh, negatives that came out of the accident, I can I consider this like one of the small wins. You know, uh, I think that. Hmm. I don't even know how I don't even know how to like put put that into words. I I consider this the victory over the scenario that just could have completely taken it all away from us. There's no other goal for me. I'm just doing this because I just genuinely want to do it, you know. I for so long thought it was gone forever. And my goal was to play again with the five of us just play again so after the shrine show i have no more expectations i have no more goals i have no more things that i have to see through it's just everything we get to do from here on out i'm going to make the most of and i'm going to be so in the moment and so happy that we get to do this again because again there was a time when I thought 
It was gone forever. And we were never going to do these things again. So uh, I'm just taking everything as it comes. And I'm very, very happy to... I'm very, very happy that I get to live in the moment because in in retrospect, all those years I spent just like like hoping for this future and dreaming of this future and working towards this future when really I wasn't living in the present. I wasn't enjoying, I wasn't absorbing what was happening. And now I have that clarity because of the accident. I have that clarity to actually live in the moment and experience what's happening and be more present. And that kind of clarity is silver lining, but I wouldn't have had that before and I have it now. And that's, uh, that just just makes me happy that I get, I get to do anything with, with the four other guys and, you know, have, have it in my life at all, in any capacity, whether it's everything I do every waking moment, or if it's something I get to do once every couple of months, you know, we get to be abandoned again. That's incredible. It's our story. And, and it's, we're seeing the effects it's having on people and how it's moving people and how it's, how it's having a positive effect and giving people like this perspective. So it is important. We're realizing now like that our story is big and and it does deserve to be out there in the world because it, it could be this beacon of light that, I guess we didn't really ever know we had. After the shrine, I knew I wanted to make a podcast about what happened to the band and about their journey. And when I approached them, I just assumed it would be a long shot. But they agreed, and they also allowed me to tell the story the way I wanted to. For most of us, we experience this tragedy through the shreds of information in the press and on social media. And only now do I fully understand what the band went through. And it has been hugely emotional to make. I've lost count the number of times I've cried. It's also changed me, made me reflect on my own life. And the truth is, we all face obstacles, and you either break through them or let them break you. And for the ghost inside, nothing could break them. I'm so grateful to the band for giving me this opportunity to tell their story. Vigil, Jim, Andrew, Zach and Chris, I'll see you next summer at Brixton Academy. It was just a sense of uh, closing the book on a lot of things, you know, because there was so much buildup and so much anticipation and so much of my life the past couple of years were leading up to that point. And it was just like, now that it was done, now that we had done it, now that it was in the past, it was able to, to close to close the book and look forward. Whereas we spent so much time dwelling on the past and kind of living in this weird purgatory we were able to move on and that's that was huge for me and just being like okay it's done now it's time to face forward This show was produced by Danny Knowles and Tom Pattinson with additional thanks to Daniel Johnson for artwork. do also want to say a massive thanks to The Ghost Inside for allowing me to tell their story as well as giving me so much of their time. 
I need to also say thanks to John Youngman and Bing from Fly South Music, their management team. Thanks for all your help. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the best and safest exchange for buying Bitcoin. Available at kraken.com or you can download the app from the Apple or Google app stores. I'm Peter McCormack. Head over to defiance.news where you can download previous shows and watch my films. 